Hello, and welcome to the show. My name is Tom Withers, and this week at law school, I got the stomach flu from my kids, lost my voice with some sort of sore throat thing, and during all that, desperately tried to crawl out of my deathbed and make it to the last week of classes. This week on the show, I interviewed my good friend Jackson Skinner, and I talk a little bit about the way that I'm preparing for finals, give some tips on outlining, things like that. If this sounds like something that you'd be interested in, then stay tuned for this week at law school. Um, so first off, a little bit of housekeeping. Thank you so much to everyone who has been listening to the show. I really appreciate you guys, and it is a lot of fun to see the show grow. Uh, that said, we've kind of hit a little bit of a plateau as far as new listeners. Um, and, you know, that's not strictly a problem for me since I'm not really trying to make this show, you know, super huge or famous or anything like that. Um, but it would be nice if it found its way into the ears of somebody who would find it useful. So, yeah, if you know anybody who might enjoy this or find something interesting or useful in it, then please don't hesitate to share it with them. You know, as I said at the very beginning when I started this, if I end up recording these podcasts for my mom, my wife and my daughters, as well as just to kind of like journal my experiences, um, that will be more than enough for me. But it is always nice to hear from new listeners who are tuning in for the first time. And um, so, yeah, if you would, wouldn't mind sharing it, that would be really awesome. I'd really appreciate that. And also, as always, if you have any feedback or suggestions on how to improve the show, please don't hesitate to reach out to me in person or at thisweekatlawschool at gmail.com. Okay, awesome. Um, so I want to preface this episode by saying that it is currently very late at night and I am still at the law school. Uh, I decided to record this as a break from the insane quantity of studying that I still have to do before my first final exams. Um, the first one is in, actually in two days. So, um, but yeah, you know, honestly, as I'm preparing for all of this and as I'm getting ready and, you know, prepping my outlines and all that stuff, um, I thought I would be... <clears throat> Excuse me. I thought I would be more nervous as the exams got really close, but it has been it's been really great to. Uh, I, I don't know, I guess just to review my notes and to see all of the cool stuff that I've learned over the semester, you know, finals are supposed to be horrible. Everyone talks about how awful they are. And I'm sure that in like <clears throat> like a few days, I will be a weeping mess or whatever <laughs> over them. But as of right now, it really isn't that bad at all. <clears throat> and interestingly, uh, just as a point of, of you know content here, I am <clears throat> far from the only one of my classmates who is staying late tonight. Actually, the law school is still very busy. And I think we will probably have to be thrown out of here at closing time. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So one, yeah, one thing that's been kind of a drag for me over the last week or so is that I have been like just about as sick as a dog. <laughs> My kids got sick middle of last week. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. It's all, it's all blending together now. I mean, like a NyQuil haze right now, <laughs> but my kids got sick and started uh, you know, like little kids do just throwing up all over the house. And, you know, that's the other thing. Little kids don't have the decency to chuck their guts in the toilet. 
like a civilized creature. Instead, they like to spread the love and get it all over the carpet and the couch and every single blanket in the house one by one. And you try to put a bowl in front of their face and they'll hold the bowl and whimper and whine. And then as soon as they have to throw up, they like throw the bowl in a panic and vomit on the nearest family heirloom or whatever. Uh, and, you know, it's at times like this that I am most grateful for my wife. You know, I'm always, of course, very grateful for her. But when we when we get sickness in our house, my wife, she is a natural healer. And she just steps right into the front line, you know, into the line of fire to help our girls feel better and nurse them back to health. And I basically just, you know, hiss and crawl off into the corner and crouch there with my hands over my head, muttering to myself, I, I, ugh, ugh. I, I hate, I hate getting sick. And I know <clears throat> I know that sounds ridiculous to say, and everyone will be like, yeah, Tom, everyone hates getting sick, big deal. But I really hate getting sick. Um, I, I can handle a sore throat a little bit better, although <laughs> admittedly not that much. And my wife would probably be like, yeah, yeah, right, and roll her eyes. Uh, she also basically ends up taking care of me. Uh, when, when there's sickness, I don't know. She's uh, maybe just a stronger, better person than me because she gets sick too. And then doesn't ever go down, but like I get sick and I, I'm basically on my deathbed. I'm like writing my fond farewells and all that stuff. <clears throat> um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the sore throat is not the worst for me. It's the throwing up that I can't stand, you know, for some reason, there's like a horrible design flaw in my body where every time I throw up a whole ton of it goes up my nose. And then like I have this involuntary gag snort and I suck some of it down into my lungs. And I don't, I mean, I have no idea who was responsible for, you know, patching the vomit bulkheads or whatever when they built my head, but somebody pooched it because I just about die every time I throw up. So my solution is to go into absolute stasis every single time I get sick. I will not eat or drink a thing until I am absolutely positive that I am out of the woods. And my wife says that I end up making myself sicker for longer, but I honestly don't care. I would rather have diarrhea for a month than throw up even once. And, you know, I know, <laughs> I know I'm sharing a lot of personal information here right now. And I apologize if you were eating something when the show started. That's my bad. Um, I just wanted to point out for any of my classmates who are listening, though, that I did you all a solid by laying low and spending all my time at the student center across the street so that none of you would have to share my fate. And if you are wondering where I have been over the past week or so, that's where I've been. I've been over there sharing my disease with the undergrads instead of with you guys. So you're welcome. And sorry if you're an undergrad. Um <laughs> it, it sounded more targeted when I said it that way <laughs> than, than it actually is, I promise. Um, but yeah, I mean, I totally could have engaged in biological warfare with all of you guys, uh, my classmates, but I chose not to. I'm basically a hero. I am the hero that this law school deserves. I take my pukey germs across the street. And so, yeah, you're welcome. You're all so welcome. Um, but yeah, anyways, so as soon as the stomach flu passed, um, I woke up in the middle of the night, like the next day, 
with a burning in my throat and lungs. Uh, the aforementioned dreaded lung vomit had struck and I ended up roasting the inside of my respiratory system. <laughs> and by the time the sun rose on my night in Hades, I had completely lost my voice. <clears throat> So that was super. And uh, finally, after much suffering, I came into the law school today ready to study. Um, I'm still a little bit raspy. So if you're detecting um, a little more sex appeal in my voice today, thank you. I made it myself using vomit. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. OK, uh, let's stop talking about disease now and just get into our interview with Jackson. And I'll just reload here and, and we'll get back on topic. So anyways, here we go. Jackson. So I'm here with Jackson Skinner. Jackson is a reluctant Texas exile of 10 years. For his undergraduate degree, he studied American history with an emphasis on the Cold War and post-Soviet U.S. foreign policy at BYU. After graduating, he worked for several years as a librarian before coming to BYU Law. And uh, I like those bios that are short and sweet. So thank you, Jackson, for being on the show. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah, glad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> At scenic, yeah, in scenic, in scenic back of the, the back of the room. <laughs> yeah, scenic the back room behind all the carols. Um, yeah, so uh, let's just start off with the same standard question. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, I was um, I was born in Alabama. Um, I moved. What to, part of Alabama? Real quick. Uh, Decatur. Decatur. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, For all of our Alabama yeah, listeners, it's there. so that's um, that's Crimson Tide territory. Yeah, I know that there are some tigers who listen, and I want them to know that they're wrong and that I love them anyways. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it's a pity love. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, no, it's real love that comes with an element of pity. Right? <laughs> it's hard to trash talk after the recent loss. <laughs> like we could throw down over a few years ago, but it, it feels a li little less like pity this week. <laughs> um, so after that, we moved to Florida and uh, I spent after that, I spent seven years in New Orleans. And then uh, for high school, my family moved to Texas and um and then that's where they they live now. So uh, uh, I went to high school in Texas, and then I spent a semester at a public school out there, and I did not like it. Okay. And so I accidentally ended up at BYU. It was sort of just like, well, I don't like what I'm doing, so let me go to BYU. And I have not left Utah except to serve uh, an LDS mission since then. Um, it's been so, ten years. Yeah, it's been ten years. <laughs> <laughs> rough <laughs> you just kind of got trapped here yeah <laughs> yeah and you know what I tried really hard not to I married a girl who was not from here and with the hopes that like you know I don't have ties to Utah she right. doesn't have ties to Utah um but I don't like Arizona that much, and um, and she was still going to school when I finished. Is so that where your wife's from? Arizona, it? yeah, okay. yeah, from Phoenix. Okay, yeah, it's out there. Yeah, it's, I've heard Arizona's nice, but I like it better than Utah. There's because Phoenix is nice because there's no snow there, but right. um, but you could get to snow relatively easily because Flagstaff gets yeah. snow, and it's only a couple hours away. Um, yeah, I like Flagstaff. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's been 10 years. So you basically have, I mean, 
have you got roots here now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, my I have two girls, and their birth certificates both say Utah. Yeah, um, they both say Provo, Utah. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> wow. How, how old are your kids? Um, almost three and almost one. Those are fun ages. Are they a handful? Yeah, uh, less so now that I'm in law school and I mostly don't see them. Uh, but they're, I mean, they're still, still a handful. They're just not in my hands as much. Right. Um, but yeah, they're really sweet though, uh, and they they love to think that they're helping, which is I yeah. think they're so smart and. As much of a problem as it can cause now, I'm really excited for them to to be smart and adults. Yeah. Like, the more that they talk, the happier I get. And I've got to tell you, man, uh, so I've got a four-year-old going on five. The older she gets, the more I like her. And <laughs> I apologize for, like, my other children listening to this maybe in the future. But, like, I'm a big fan of the older children. Yeah. Um, because they like to help and they're mm-hmm. also not destroying the world while they try to help. <laughs> like, like, you know, my four-year-old, she can pick up our baby with me. And like, so we have, uh, I think she's five months old now. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's like substantial enough to not really be hurt if she falls mm-hmm. one foot onto the ground. Yeah. And so we're like, yeah, okay, you can carry her with the supervision mm-hmm. from like one place to another place mm-hmm. very carefully. But yeah, the older she gets, the more useful she is. <laughs> not that, you know, not that utility is important for the child, but I, I guess, so maybe I should say the older she gets, the less of a detriment to the team. <laughs> so, yeah. Cool, cool. How are you, uh, uh, how are you finding the work-life balance? Um, it depends on the week. Um, I heard somebody describe it as it's less about a balance. It's more of like you've got a series of um, discs spinning on a stick. And yeah. You spin one. When one starts to wobble, you you grab that one and you spin it more. And it's like... I think that was Dean Smith. Was when it? first came. Yeah. yeah. It sounds... Maybe it wasn't. But yeah. I, I think like it was that. somebody here at the school, yeah. though. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember hearing that as well. And it's... Yeah, you just... Whichever one starts to wobble, you just have to put some attention yeah. into it. Okay. So I, I think that I've done okay with that. Good. Um, Good. That's awesome. So why law school? I, um, I've sort of always considered it. Uh, in high school, I was convinced that that was what I wanted to do. And I had a very specific plan as to how I was going to pay for it. Um, and it was not really realistic at all, which didn't matter because I went to university to be uh, an engineer mm-hmm. until that didn't work out for me either. And so um, I... Yeah, so I was uh, in school to be an engineer, and I did my calculus. And uh, who does? Yeah, I know people who do. My father-in-law is a really good engineer, and um, yeah. and my wife will tell you that he's um, always excited to talk about math and stuff, <laughs> and which is really fun. I like the subject. I'm just not very. Yeah. I found myself not as talented in the area as I wanted to be, and so I ended up doing history, and then uh, I got a job as a librarian and sort of Fun. what I'd been doing already just sort of worked out naturally like that. And I didn't care for it as much as I thought I would. Okay. Um, and so I was just, I guess, looking back at 
what other options I had. Um, and law was one that I felt would open up a lot of, um, of different avenues for me. Uh, I'm really, I'm really passionate about probably every policy area that I've ever heard of. Big policy guy. Yeah. Um, which is partially like a natural interest and then just a general contrariness. So like, if you tell me something (laughs) (laughs) like as soon as I'm aware of something, I can have an opinion on it, which is not necessarily a positive attribute. I think that's a good thing. So, um, so yeah, I I was looking at, um, at leaving the library and going to think tanks or the, the foreign service. And I was sort of looking at people who worked at those jobs and, um, and law degrees kept coming up. And so I thought that this is an avenue where I can, um, what I, the education I have isn't sufficient. And if I go forward, law provides more opportunities in areas of interest for me. Cool. Cool. Now, have you ever regretted that choice? And with the exception, we'll take memo three off the table. Because <laughs> I know everyone has questioned their existence over memo three. So, so with, the, with the exception of memo three, have you ever regretted the choice to come to law school? Actually, I think memo three is a good example of like why I don't regret law school because it was brutal and I spent way more time on it than I probably should have. But I feel so much better afterward. Like I feel like a much better writer afterwards. And I feel that is sort of exemplary of everything I've done in law school so far. So I, um, I feel stretched for the first time in a long time. Good. Um, and so like, so no, I don't. Good. I don't yeah, that, that's great. Um, the expectation there is that you say no. It would be, <laughs> it would be a real bummer if, if like this interview devolved. Into, like, <laughs> I think if that happened, I would say, well, let's, let's get you to interview somebody else this week. Yeah. It's only Tuesday. Yeah. Like, I would, uh, I would maybe stop this. the recording. Maybe Jackson, you get a talk. Or, no, um, we keep going and then publish it after I leave. Right. <laughs> or after Dean Gordon or Dean Smith leaves. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. So I'm glad to hear that you don't regret it. I don't regret it. Not ever. Even though, like you said, it is really hard. It's really stretching. Um, there's something that just feels really good about, about learning mm-hmm. and learning specifically this stuff. I don't know. Um, let's talk for a second real quick about um, your undergraduate education there. Is Soviet era foreign policy? Yeah. Post-Cold War? Yeah, basically everything that happened after the First World War. Um, I took one class, or sorry, not First World, it was the Second World War. Okay. Um, so I took... So Korea, Vietnam, Okay. Uh, yeah, and uh, I took this class, and so the way the history program at BYU works is a little odd. They have their huge slate of thirty or forty classes that you can take, and they make you pick a geographic area or um, like an emphasis. Or, yeah, they make you pick an emphasis, and you have to pick seven classes that like fit this emphasis. Oh, okay. And and then the rest of them you have to spread out but so you can't do all of your credits on that topic you've got to space it out into three different continents okay other than the one you're studying it makes sense if you think about it because they don't want someone to have like a useless kind of pick and mix of information like they want you to be yeah. somewhat of an expert on something I yeah guess, I, so. I think they wanted you to be able to put something on a resume that didn't sound dumb 
Yeah. And, um, and that was the best way to foolproof it. You can always put something on a resume that looks dumb. Like even, even, even what I picked, if I phrase it wrong, it sounds silly, but, um, no, it sounds really cool. So yeah. Cause I worked really hard on how I phrase it. Yeah. I, I, like it. I like it. So what, so it, basically post world war two era United mm-hmm. States, um, does that inform your like worldview now? Like does having that kind of like background information on previous American foreign policy decisions, does that kind of impact the type of law that you want to go into or like what you think about when you see things on the news or I don't know. I'm just curious. It's kind of a unique thing to have studied. So, yeah, I, and you know, what was interesting about it is I think what I got out of it is I think a lot more like my parents than a lot of the people who are my age, which was sort of the point as I went into it thinking like my dad talks about all of these things that he's seen um, and like all these different things that he's experienced. And I don't have any context for it culturally or or politically. Um, And so like I kind of figured like this is something that's really interesting to me is why we are where we are as a country, as a culture. And so, uh, I like to think that when somebody tries to pull a fast one in politics or in culture, I see the pattern and it, mm. I don't fall for it as much. Yeah. But I, I also recognize that most people probably feel that way oh, about yeah. themselves. And so like, I don't, I don't know how much of an advantage it, or how much it really changes how I looked at it, but, yeah. um, I think it just makes me skeptical of any argument that anybody makes. Yeah. So <laughs> it's interesting that you said that. So, cause I actually did a project during my undergrad, I was a sociology major. Um, and my, my big area that I really cared about was it just data analysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for one of my classes, I did a project on fake news, um, and people's, people's confidence in their ability to detect fake news is inversely proportionate to their actual ability to detect <laughs> fake news. So like, in other words, like the more confident you feel that you like, you get it, the less you actually do. But I think where you've had like some education and some experience um, and the fact that you hedged there and you said, like, I think everybody thinks that they're good at it. Um, that shows that like, that you get, you probably actually do understand it. Um, but yeah, like, yeah, it was, that was just a funny finding for me uh, during that project is that like the, the people who think that they're the best at spotting it are actually like their actual ability is very, very poor. So um, <laughs> it was very gratifying to hear because as you said that, I was like, oh, I'm bad at that. Like I. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. <laughs> good. good. Uh, <laughs> so that that's really cool then that you've got that ex- that uh, education and experience. Um, one of these times when we're not recording ourselves, I'll have to pick your brains over the Vietnam War and Korea. I'm, I'm a huge I'm a huge war buff. I'm very interested in all things war. And so we'll have to talk about that one of these times. Um, yeah, I would like that. Yeah. For those of you who can't tell by listening, um, Jackson and I are both a part of the Bald Gentleman's Club here, <laughs> <laughs> here at the law school. Um, the word cult has been thrown around. I, 
I think I like the word cult better than gentleman's club. I think in the current <laughs> okay, climate, right, yeah, cult yeah. has a better meaning. That's a shame. Uh, <laughs> that's a shame that we've reached that. But yeah, I think you're right. Um, the, the, <laughs> yeah, I think bald cult actually sounds better than bald gentleman's club. Um, <laughs> Although, if gentleman's club is to be used, it's it's not that we're excluding women. It's just they usually prefer not to be part of this particular club. Right. So right. Women are welcome. In fact, all people are welcome. We we anticipate that all people will join, um, <laughs> uh, whether whether it's through force of arms. Or, <laughs> um, yeah. So for all of you you um, haired individuals, uh, your days are numbered. Uh, so uh, yeah. <laughs> what is it? What's our motto? We are legion. <laughs> Do we decide? I, I think we tried really hard not to come up with a motto. Okay. <laughs> just like, just that, like how we don't like to be tied down by hair products. We don't be That's tied right. down by any specific goals or thought. Yeah. I feel, process. I feel kind of bad. Cause I like, I kind of blatantly stole Jackson's style. Um, I started law school with bad hair and then decided that it was time to move away. And Jackson, like a true, member of the order uh, he was bald before he started yeah and so um, I, I I will admit to having copied Jackson and it also doesn't help that we wear the same clothes every day we're like wearing a shirt right now so yeah <laughs> we coordinate that that's once again part of the uh, the secret combinations that we have going here so yeah yeah <laughs> okay uh, what's your favorite class I guess let's step away from the occult for a minute <laughs> Um, I'm going to step back into the occult contracts. Ooh. <laughs> contracts. Why contracts? Um, I actually, I don't know. It's because we just came from contracts, mm. mostly. I, I feel like it's that. the freshest in your mind. Yeah. Uh, I feel that way about all of them, though. Like, whatever I've been talking about most recently is usually my favorite. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I like proper. I, we have a really great property professor. Um, professor Fee is amazing. Yeah. Sometimes I would say it's definitely not property only because there's so much in property law that's bonkers and just like it's wild, right? outright, just kind of outrageous stuff. Um, anytime the government gets involved in it, you can really taste the like ye old England, yeah, out there, like mixed with like janky like, American constitutional like bandits, yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah, yeah. Property for me is tough as well. I really love contracts, and it's funny, maybe we'll talk about this real quick. Uh, right before we started this interview, we were just joking about a concept that we talked about in property class or in contracts class today. Um, what did we talk about? I'm spacing it out. Um, uh, what was it? Anticipatory, anticipatory breach. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, where like I said, okay, Jackson, are you ready for the interview? And you said, I'm not going to anticipatory breach this yeah. contract here. Um, and it's funny because we, we then were discussing, like, <laughs> like it, it's kind of a wild outcome. Like if you were to breach mm-hmm. and I were to try and sue you, we would then go to a court and I would have to argue that you were <laughs> extremely valuable to me. And you would have, you'd be in the weird position of arguing that you're 
worthless. <laughs> like, like, no, no, it's not. One of us has a stronger argument <laughs> than the other, and I feel pretty good. <laughs> Jackson, that those twenty minutes with Jackson, that was going to be life changing for me. He owes me at least a quarter million dollars. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, if anything, I've earned him money. <laughs> so, um, I'm sorry if that's not funny to anyone who's not a law student. Uh, I'm a little bit worried that law school is making me weird. <laughs> Because, uh, like, these are the things we laugh about here. We're like, ha, 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 So, oh, man. Maybe I lose my train of thought there, Jackson. Uh, Jackson is a good friend of mine. We chat a lot. Um, good guy. <sighs> Let's see. What's something else that we can talk about real quick here? We've got about another minute and a half. Dealer's choice. What do you, what do you say? Oh, man. Um, I was going to go back to Vietnam, but a minute and a half is not long enough, even for a joke answer. Um, <laughs> but I think the hardest part of law school has yes. been, um, sort of about finding balance, but also just like being aware of your limitations. And we talked about like how nice it is to like feel rewarded by learning. And yeah. often it feels like my brain is stretched the way that like a really hard workout would be. Yeah. And, and that feels really good. And I feel like just like a workout, like afterwards you go back and you feel like more, but, um, sometimes you're not get you push yourself too hard and then something tears in your brain. <laughs> <laughs> and it takes um, I think it takes a little longer for your brain to heal. Yeah. Than your muscles. Um, and that and that's rough. Um but it uh so yeah, the hardest part about law school is um is knowing your limits and knowing like where to push. That's awesome. I love that. And I totally agree. It's like uh just to go back to your weightlifting analogy there, right? You're working out. Um it's like a lot of time, a lot of us didn't really, I, I would say it's safe to say that none of us struggled during our undergrad here. Um, so, or struggled too terribly during undergrad. And so you were like, we were lifting light weights that whole time and thinking, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a good weightlifter. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden you're right. Like you come here and you have to max out mm -hmm. and you find out where that max is. And, um, for some of us, including myself, that max is lower than I thought it was. And I was like, oh, oh man, I've got to like do some serious conditioning here. Um, yeah, that's that's an awesome way to look at it. And maybe just to end up, um, for somebody who's out there considering law school, do you have any advice? If you, there are a lot, there's a lot of advice. The one I was thinking about was, um, having a family has been a tremendous benefit. Yes. It has also made it difficult. Yes. I can't spend 16 hours a day here. I can't sleep in my Carol. Not that they'd let me, but like, um, pretty close, right? Yeah. So. Like you could probably find a way to sleep in the common rooms. Really? I, I think they'd probably let you do that. Yeah. They'd, they'd, they'd look at you weird. We'll find but. out next week. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, I, I would say don't, be deterred um, especially if you don't get in at first but it's something you're really interested in I didn't get into um, anywhere I applied to five or six different schools the first time the first year I applied and I didn't get into any of them um, and then the second year I you know talked to a lot of people about why my applications weren't strong enough and I worked to fix what I could and I had to ignore the stuff that 
was yeah. was you're a bad candidate. You know, like I took a bunch of uh, stack uh, student activity classes in my undergrad, and I had somebody tell me that I looked bad on an application. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I would not trade the memories that I made with my wife and my ice skating class for getting into a university last year. Like it, it, honestly, like don't be afraid to do what you love and. It doesn't matter if it looks bad or not because it will make you a better student. And it's just keep pushing, keep going, keep trying. That is awesome advice. And for the record, Jackson is an awesome student. His participation in class is always on point. And really, you ask some like really uh, probing questions and like you you have a good way of like... uh, analyzing the other side of, of an issue. And that's, that's pretty cool. Um, it's a, it's a skill. So, um, we're out of time, but thank you so much, Jackson, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me, Tom. Absolutely. All right. Uh, so that was Jackson and I mean, I really like that guy. Uh, he and I ended up talking for quite a while after the interview was over and he's just an interesting dude. We've actually spent, um, probably more time than we should just kind of shooting the breeze and, and learning some, me learning some interesting things from him and him putting up with my, uh, jokes. <laughs> so yeah, thanks again for Jackson coming on. Um, but anyways, I wanted to spend the rest of this episode talking a little bit about what it is that I'm doing to prepare for my final exams. Um, For those of you who are unfamiliar with law school exams, first of all, me too. Um, I don't feel like I have that great of an idea what to expect. I've read some things. I've watched some videos. I still don't feel like I know completely what's going on. So, um, but basically the gist of it is it's a three hour comprehensive final where you are tested on anything and everything that you've learned over the course of the semester. Um, there are a few different ways that it's done. Um, there typically there are some like multiple choice on some exams. Um, not every professor does that. Uh, some do, some don't. But all of my professors have said that they like to do what's called um, issue spotters, where they give you like a very complicated and interesting set of facts, and you're supposed to find out what legal issues are contained in the facts, what claims and counterclaims there might be present, and then they ask you either to argue for a side or explain all the elements or create a policy argument for why one th- one decision would be better than another. Um It sounds fairly simple um, on paper, but these fact patterns can get really complex really fast. And there are some rules that are like almost um, uh, mutually exclusive and incompatible with each other. So you end up having to decide which one would apply best when multiple could potentially apply um, or, you know, there's like you think that one applies, but then there's actually like a sneaky secret rule that, you know, makes it something else or there's all kinds of different stuff. And without getting too specific and technical on it, um, it's just kind of, it's more difficult than you'd think to find out which, uh, which law to apply, which I guess it's weird to say law. Cause when people, so here's something or real quick aside, when people think of law, a lot of times in my experience, they're thinking of statutes, like laws that are written down, like thou shalt not kill. Um, but you know, in, in less straightforward and unambiguous terms, um, like, like, like statutes, you know, that say what's a crime and what's not a crime. And, you know, all of the prescribed punishments and things like that, that are generated by the legislature. Um, 
in the judiciary, when you say law or like in a law school setting, when I say, you know, which law to apply, you're not talking about like which specific law. Most of the time you're talking about like which which law, plural, which like element or facet of the law applies in the situation. It's a lot more, you know, uh, it's kind of complicated. So but yeah. <clears throat> so for me, that's that's kind of. Uh, the gist of an issue spotter, right? You got to decide which which law to apply. And then there are also issues where like the law is not super clear um, on which course of action would, you know, be best. So then you have to get, end up arguing uh, for a different side. And, you know, honestly, I prefer those types of problems because there's more room for, shall we say... Um, artful interpretation and skillful application of baloney um, than, than when there's like a, a good piece of black letter law that's just right on point. Um, and so policy arguments in that way can be a little bit more flexible. But, you know, I've, I've also heard it said that like if you're if you're arguing from a policy standpoint, you probably are losing um, because because that probably means that the actual law um, is not in your favor there. And you're trying to persuade a judge to to change what the law is or something like that. Not always, but, you know, sometimes. Anyways, <clears throat> so my strategy for studying so far has been to go through all of the notes that I took in every class throughout the semester. And that's the other thing. Um, I'm sorry if I haven't mentioned that before, but you should be taking good notes. Um, you should take good notes, basically, always. If it's on the board, like a PowerPoint, if the teacher says it, if they like say it more than once, really, or if it sounds like they're not just saying something in passing, you should probably write it down because it's probably important and it's possibly going to be on the final. So um, take good notes. But anyways, I took pretty good notes, pretty comprehensive notes. Definitely not the best in my class. As I said, I think uh, last week, Christina's notes are like, though they're like mind blowingly good. And mine are like, there are a couple of times where I've been like, remember the cheese or something like that. And I'll be like, what? <laughs> like reading it back and be like, what the heck does that even mean? Um, so write better notes than me is basically what I'm saying here. But so I've, I've gone through all my notes. I've kind of compiled the main ideas and I'm trying to create a useful outline. And to give you an idea of what that looks like, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my contracts class. Um, because it's the nearest of the exams that I'm preparing for. And actually, my contracts class is the only class I have this semester where we're allowed to bring our outlines into the test with us. Some professors don't, and some professors do uh, allow you to bring your outlines in. All of my professors don't, except for my contracts professor, who does. Um, and so, um, you know, that, which is good. You get to bring your outline in, and it provides a distinct advantage and a, I guess, subtle disadvantage. And the advantage is that if you prepare your outline carefully, you probably won't end up, you know, completely spacing out and losing everything that you studied in, you know, a massive brain fart <laughs> or something. But, you know, and so, and so because of that, you know, everyone should be able to include pretty comprehensive and detailed notes for the exam. And that, that's great. You know, that'll be really great. Um, the, I think the subtle disadvantage to that is that since we can all provide lots of accurate details, the expectation the professor has is going to be higher that we will provide perfectly accurate details um, 
you know, another class of professors have said that they won't hold it against us if we forget like the exact name of a case and maybe just like refer to it as like the one with the horse or something like that. Um, in this class, I don't think there will be that much mercy for not getting the case exactly right. So for me, I am preparing a very thorough outline. I've divided it into a few different sections. Um, I am cataloging every section of the restatement on contracts, the UCC, and every major case that we've discussed into my outline at the back. And so I'll just have restatement, you know, in order and UCC provisions in order and um, case law that we covered in alphabetical order just at the back. And in the front, um, I'm providing, and, and you know, not thorough outlines of these cases, by the way. I'm just saying, like, I'm just going to put the black letter law in there, like a one sentence kind of the law that I pulled out of there or that Quimby helped me pull out of there in some cases. Um, I'm not going to do a plug for Quimby here. But if you're a law student, you'll know what it is. And I use it uh, unabashedly. So anyways... Uh, and it, it's it's not like it's uh, against the rules or anything like that. It's just not <laughs> it's not recommended. And I and by the way, I really don't recommend that you start using Quimby right off the bat. Read every case cover to cover and try and pull the law out yourself. Um, about three quarters of the way of towards the end of the semester, I started kind of leaning on Quimby a little heavier because I was finding that I was able to pull the black letter law out pretty consistently of the cases. And so it was just a shortcut for me to use Quimby, um, to do a thing that I already knew how to do. And it just saves a little bit of time, allowed me to focus on other things. So, um, yeah, anyways, um, <laughs> If you are against Quimby or if you're a professor who's against Quimby, then pretend that I didn't say it and also that I don't use it. Um, thank you. But anyways, um, so where was I? I kind of lost my train of thought there. Oh, yeah. So I, I'm putting the restatement, the UCC and the case law all in the back. Uh, which is like a, a couple of sentences on each to kind of remind me of what the things are and then direct quotes for the restatement and UCC provisions that I plan on using, um, at least the ones that are most important. Um, and the way that I'm hoping this will all work out um, is that I will read the fact pattern and... Oh, I forgot to tell you what I'm doing with the front. So in the front, I'm providing myself with a checklist of things that are like not to forget to do during the exam. So like, you know, read the issues carefully, read the call to action very carefully. What is the call to action? Identify it. Um, I'm reminding myself to do that a bunch of times because in one of the practice ones that I did, I completely ignored the call to action and I ended up writing just a, a super, super wrong answer. And so... Uh, I don't want to do that again. So I wrote it in big, bold letters, not to forget. Um, if you know your weaknesses, find out what they are and and try to like nip them early on if you can. So, but yeah, uh, reminders to do things like, you know, counter analysis, policy arguments, things like that. Uh, after the checklist, I created an alphabetical list of key terms from the class that are annotated with case citations and references to the like applicable restatement or UCC sections. So, you know, for example, it will, basically I'm hoping that I'll read the fact pattern and my trusty old brain will trigger like a synaptic burst. Oh man, like a brain blast. 
from that Nickelodeon show. I don't know what I'm allowed to say or not say in public. I So I'm just going to say that Nickelodeon show or that show on that network. I don't know, whatever. And I'm hoping that I'll get a brain blast and I'll be like, oh, oh, so that's consideration. And I'll be able to tag it for further review. After that, I'll go back and look up consideration in my key phrases section, get all the info I have there with some nice case law, a section or two in the restatement or the UCC to back up my arguments. Um, and then go from there and hopefully that will work. And, you know, I fully recognize that this outline could be a complete train wreck, train wreck for someone else who tried to do it that way. Um, in fact, I'm not completely sure that it won't be a complete train wreck for me as well. I guess we'll see. Um, but I think that everyone should find their own way to create an outline. There's no universal way to get it done, I don't think. And I would highly, highly recommend that you don't use a commercial outline. Um, if you if you do look at it and maybe use it as like a template or um, a way to kind of guide your own outline creation, but don't just like take someone else's outline into the test with you because it will not help you that much. I think, I think making the outline has been the most important thing for me. So, um, I will say that, um, <clears throat> I'll also say that the outlines that I'm preparing for my property and my torts class, they're going to be nothing like this one. Um, since I'm not going to be able to take those outlines into the exams with me, um, they're just going to be more focused on getting the information into my brain and helping as much of it stick as possible while I'm studying rather than like building a useful tool to retrieve information, you know, via my outline. So, uh, it's all very complicated and difficult, but as I said before, it's also kind of thrilling. I mean, I've learned an awful lot of new things about the loss and starting here. And, you know, after all that has been the dream, Right. You know, I am literally living the dream. Sure, I might have gotten sick during the last week of classes. Big deal, right? You know, I've got a wonderful wife, three excellent daughters, a nice little house, great family, great friends, decent health, decent health, uh, a decent dog. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it, I've got absolutely nothing to complain about. And so, you know, I find myself less than 48 hours away from my first law school exam and I, I'm feeling, you know, surprisingly zen about it. It's good times. It's good times. Of course, I haven't actually done any, any of the exams yet. So maybe next week you will hear me in a completely different state of mind. Um, but, you know, it has been so great to be here at law school. And I'm sitting here, it's late at night. I gotta make my way home at some point. Um, hopefully not miss the last bus home and end up walking down State Street for several miles in the middle of the night. Crap, I just realized I should probably wrap this up. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here, it's dark outside. My My classmates are out there burning the midnight oil and working hard. And I'm just, I'm so proud. I'm proud of them. I'm proud of myself for being here. It's, it's just a cool experience. It's unlike anything I've ever done before. And so if you're on the fence about coming to law school, uh, come just do it. If, if you got what it takes, if you, if you know that you've got what it takes to be successful at it. Um, and if it's interesting to you, I, I see no reason why not, you know, yeah, I guess, I guess it's expensive and it's a lot of work and <clears throat> there are there are some distinct downsides to it, I guess. 
Uh, and then you have to be a lawyer at the end. So bear that in mind. But for me, this is it. This is the dream. This is what I thought law school would be. And, you know, I finished a complete semester of classes, loved every day in class. I loved pretty much every day in class, I should clarify. Um, there were some hard things. I found out I was a much worse writer than I thought I was. Um, and that's that took some adjusting and some extra work to try and, and tackle. And hopefully that comes out well for me. We'll see. Um, but it has been everything that I imagined it would be. And I'm so grateful, so thankful. And coming up on the exams, you know, it feels like the easy part of the semester is over. And actually, uh, a quote popped into my head today that kind of made me chuckle a little bit. And it's a Winston Churchill quote. And I am pretty sure it's a real one um, because in my head, I hear it in his old timey British radio voice like addressing parliament or whatever. Maybe it was parliament. I don't know. But I'll, I'll just paraphrase it for you. In fact, no, I will imitate it for you. Um, <clears throat> so he says, this is not the end. No, it is not even the beginning of the end. But it is perhaps the end of the beginning. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Um if you've stuck with me so far through all of these episodes and that was the straw that broke the camel's back, you're like, I'm out, I'm done. Churchill impressions are where I draw the line. I apologize. Please forgive me. Um, <laughs> oh man. On that sour note. And in case I end up missing my last bus home, I better wrap this up. Uh, as always, the views on this podcast are mine alone and are not representative of BYU law or anyone else. And any advice given on how to succeed at final exams in law school is worthless and should be ignored. Um, so, yeah, don't try and sue me for that, you sneaky little lawyers. Um, but anyways, have a great week. I'll talk to you guys later. 